Disclaimer, Joss, Jules, and Nevermore are not professional therapists. They will be sharing their personal experiences and advice, but this is in no way a substitute for professional help. There is also a good chance of swearing, tears, and triggering conversations, so listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slaying Demons, a podcast about facing your fears in life and being the best version of yourself. This week, we are actually going to be discussing a particularly difficult topic, which has been brought on by the unfortunate suicide of a member of the Hearthstone community, Toast the Badger. Toast was a very active, uh, very active member of the community. She organized many tournaments and she moderated a lot of Twitch chats. But unfortunately, privately, she struggled with chronic pain and bipolar disorder which ultimately led to her taking her own life on April 29th. Um, this is actually a subject that I've wanted to cover for quite a long time on the show, but uh, we all felt quite underqualified to discuss it. And personally, I was very afraid of saying the wrong thing and doing harm <laughs> unintentionally. So uh, today we are actually lucky enough to have special guest Dr. Holiday Bean here with us to lend her professional expertise to this conversation. So, um, Holiday, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, uh, Yay, we... Holiday! <laughs> <laughs> and then also, obviously, I am joined by my two wonderful <laughs> co-hosts, Jules and Nevermore. They are also here. So, hello, ladies. <laughs> hello, ladies! <laughs> It's our first guest. We'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's our it's our first guest. It's a it's I'm a, number one. You totally are. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's also quite a difficult uh topic to cover. I know I'm probably gonna be tripping all over myself tonight. So <laughs> um, but yeah, we don't have a whole ton of time um with holiday tonight, so I want to make sure that we kind of get through everything that we can get through. So um First and foremost, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about uh, how exactly uh, we as friends or acquaintances of people who are dealing with depression and other mental illnesses, how can we help? Like, what level of help are we able to give? Should we give? Like, how can we help to deal with people who are struggling? So, so okay, the word struggling is you know, the struggle is real and it's real for all of us. And, and, you know, all jokes aside, this is a very serious topic. Um, so something to keep in mind when someone is experiencing a, a very intense bout of depression is you definitely want to keep open the lines of communication. Um, a big symptom of depression is pushing everyone away of, uh, blocking yourself away of not having the energy to, um, to spend time with others, to just kind of be by yourself, to want to be by yourself and, or feel like nobody wants to be around you. And with that, particularly with regards to friendships, the, the flip side of that is as a friend, what we see is, well, someone doesn't want to spend time with us. And if you have your own issues, if you're not in necessarily a good place, you feel like you're constantly like, you know, kind of building this bridge, building this bridge, and, and this person's shooting you down. And you're like, well, do you even want to be friends? And you personalize it. So I think a big, ooh, something just happened. I don't know what happened. It's just oh, we like, lost Nevermore. I think we're going. Yeah. It's oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> She'll That's come okay. back. Okay. So, um, so I think a big piece of this would be um, making sure you're keeping, not personalizing this, if you recognize that the um, that the person is, is experiencing depression, is if they're in a kind of a rough state. I mean, something that that's really what I would encourage no matter what, as long as you feel something for the friendship, continue to try, 
because the person who is going through that depression is going to really appreciate it, whether they can verbalize it or not. Um, so the thing with depression and suicidal ideation is it's an interesting level of energy that goes into suicidal ideation and then self-harm and then eventually an attempt or um, following through. So when you're a little depressed, we're not usually worried about people being uh, suicidal because you can recognize the depression and you're usually taking active steps to get through it. Or if you're extremely depressed, you literally don't have the energy to commit suicide. You're too tired. You don't, it takes enough energy just to survive and that's all you've got. So we're actually more worried about people committing suicide when they bump up, um, when they, when they're come from a very, very low place and they start to get a little more energy because at that point they tend to, um, then they have the energy to kill themselves. So then we've got, so these are just some things I want you guys to keep in mind when you're to watch out for some signs. Um, so then there's the people who are not in a good place and they have something, they just have suicidal ideation. So ideation are just thoughts like, you know, what would it be like if I wasn't here? It'd be easier if I wasn't here. Um, a plan, having a plan, this is something else that as a psychologist or as a therapist we check for is how they're going to do it. Do you know how you're going to do it? Do you just have an idea like you don't want to be here or, okay, well, if you were going to kill yourself, what would you do? Oh, well, I'd take, I'd take some pills. So, okay, well, now you have a plan. Um, then you want to look at intent. Okay, well, or an access. So do you, where, where would you get the pills? And if they're like, well, I don't know. Okay, well, that tells me they don't really have access to a lot. But if they're like, well, yeah, I, you know, I'd go into my mom's cabinet and in the left-hand side, she keeps this bottle of Xanax and I'd take it all. Well, now we have a plan. We have means. We have intent. So it's really looking at where are they going to do this? Um, now, is that just strictly from a like therapist standpoint or are those kind of questions that we should be asking as friends? Um, I think those are things that as a therapist <clears throat> that we look for, um, I think as a friend, I, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole anyone really feels comfortable going, but the bottom line is if they one, my recommendation and encouragement would be if someone says that they have any, even any thoughts, the first thing you're going to do is work to help them. You're going to you know, get them in touch with the suicide hotline. You're going to make sure you're going to tell other people around them to make sure that they're getting their help. So if the person's under 18, you're going to call their parents. Frankly, if the person's over 18, calling their parents, letting them know if that's maybe a safe place to go. Um, you could, you know, if you're genuinely concerned, you know, if someone calls you and says, you know, I just took a bunch of pills, you're immediately calling the police right. and you're doing a wellness check. Well, okay. Sorry. On that kind of note, because we are from <clears throat> internet communities, things like that, like I've had experience where I know the person, but not well enough to know where they live or how sure. to get in touch with anybody. So, um, in that sort of an instance, like you feel like almost helpless in what you can do, which I think is frustrating because you're trying to be sure. there for them. You know what I mean? But you also don't want to cross the line of privacy things, but obviously it's like important. Well, so, so the bottom line is I, from my place as, as a psychologist, um, I'm a mandated reporter beyond being a psychologist. And so suicidality, like, if so, if a patient, no matter how old, tells me that they're suicidal, I have to report it and I have to go to whatever means necessary to make sure that they get the help that they need. Yeah. So again, from a from a friend place, um I think it would be I mean, you're talking about being part of an internet community, um, which I appreciate and I think those are really, really important. They're usually moderators in those communities who have more access to information. You know, it's actually happened to me twice where I have seen someone post something on Twitter, mm -hmm. basically a goodbye. And I have used the power of Google to mm -hmm. find out who they are, where they live and call the police in their town and send a wellness check to their home. Because, and you know, yeah. it's even if you don't even know their physical address, but you could say, 
I know that their name is this and I know that they live in this town and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, but I've done it twice and it's, it's worked, you know, it's, it's worked to save people. So it's, it's also interesting how sometimes when suicide, you know, let, you know, suicide is a, what they, what do they say? It's a, you know, it's a, it's a final solution, um, to a, uh, not final problem. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying it right. There's a way better way of saying it. It'll come to me in a minute. <laughs> Words are sometimes hard. Um, the bottom line is you're, when you're committing suicide, it's usually due to a situation that will eventually resolve itself. So, um, there's, I've also been in a few situations, not in a professional sense, but it personally with friends where, um, I remember I was chatting with a friend over the, over the interweb, real cool and technologically advanced. Um, and, uh, she was kind of talking about how she had some suicidal ideation. And I said, listen, if you're serious, I need to call the police. And I, and I wrote that out and instantly, um, really where she was coming from is that was a cry for help. And she recognized that. And she was like, don't call the police. I'm not going to do it. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, at that point she accused me of being dramatic, (laughs) (laughs) always amazing projection. Um, but sometimes they need that people need that to be snapped out of it, Mm -hmm. to recognize that this is very serious and, and people are going to come and knock on your door. Um, I have coworkers and colleagues who have called police and what the way I was trained is, you know, no no matter what, like as a band-aided reporter, again, like I've got to call the police if I think that someone's going to kill themselves. But if I have a patient who's maybe teetering on that line, like sometimes they're like, I'm going to kill myself. And then they're like, no, I won't. But I really think they're in danger. I'll call the police. And if the police show up and nothing's wrong, that's $500 on the person. So this is not something, I mean, from even from a financial perspective, like this isn't something that you really want to mess around with. If, if they are in a place where they want to self-harm, you're saving their life. And they're obviously, there's no charge. But sometimes there's that, are they just trying to get attention? What's going on? It's like, well, I'm not, it's not my job to investigate that. It's my job to make sure that this person gets help. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go out and I'm going to figure that out. Yeah. And so there, on- that line is hard to judge. Um, the attention line. You know what I mean? It's sure. it's hard. It's hard to tell. I mean, if you don't, if you can't really tell somebody's intent, and if they're just doing it to say it. You know what I mean? It's just that's and, and difficult. That's, I think. Oh, it's absolutely difficult. And you know, some interesting. Usually, what happens is, usually when people want, when they're cutting, um that's, you know, that's considered self-harm and that's more of a, they don't really, you know, life is very emotionally painful and they'd rather feel physical pain than the emotional pain. It gives them something else to concentrate on. Um, and that's more, way more of a cry for help. Um, then you've got the people who take a lot of pills. Um, Pills are usually interesting because a lot of, I mean, sometimes people take pills and they really do end up committing suicide. Um, sometimes people take, you, not generally, sometimes, often, people will take pills and then call someone. And that's usually a cry for help. Again, that's more of the, this is very serious. I'm not in a good place. I need help. Um, and they're very, it's a desperate, they're feeling so desperate. Um, and really the, the act is like, they just want the situation to be done, not necessarily their life. Um, and then there are people who use much more, um, uh, lethal means like a gun. And when I hear someone is used a gun, most of the time that to me is there's probably nowhere, no one that could have talked them out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, really disheartening and really awful. And, um, so it, it is interesting to think about, there are the different ways that people do it. Um, yeah. but even then, I mean, there's a really interesting documentary that I'm sure people can find. Um, I don't know where it is on right now, but, um, these documentaries, filmmakers, um, put a camera next to the Golden Gate Bridge and they mm-hmm. taped it for a year. 
and they have videotape of people jumping off and, um, they actually track down the people that survived and every single person that they managed to track down said, as soon as they jumped, they wish they hadn't. It's really interesting. As soon as that it's the act is done, it's like, Oh my God, what have I done? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Uh, something related to that. I don't know exactly what it was, but it was like that, realization as it's like, this is final. And I have the moment to actually realize that I've done this. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's just, but I think for, for, for those of us who are in the community, it becomes really difficult to try to resolve the grief and anger that happened. Like if someone is successful in doing that and Mm -hmm. you maybe had the opportunity to try to talk to them or you were too busy or, you know, they reached out and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and they still went through it anyway, with it anyway. How do you even so resolve I'll, that? Sure. Sure. So, so to answer, I want to go back for a second and to kind of answer something. Um, one of the questions I was asked earlier was where's the line? And, you know, I'm everyone, my friend and I were laughing about our different therapeutic interpersonal styles. And I tend to be very, um, clear, concise and blunt. I was going to say blunt. (laughs) I'm pretty blunt. Not not in a mean way, but just, you know, you were just like, you know, I call the police like right away. You're just like, I'm not like, we're not, we're not going back and forth. Like, this is what we're doing. Like. I, I want you to know that I do, you know, obviously I'll use my, my, my therapeutic judgment and my clinical judgment, but you know, if, if, if I'm reaching out and that person's like, mm, like, okay, well then we're going to do this. Like you want to play, then we'll play. Um, and I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in honesty and a big believer in saying, Hey, you seem like you're not in a good place is, are you thinking about suicide? I don't think anyone should ever be afraid to ask about the elephant in the room. Are you not in a good place? Do you need help? Are you in help? Are you getting help? Mm-hmm. You know, don't be afraid to step on someone's toes because I would think that it's a hell of a lot better to step on their toes in that moment than to find out the next day that something happened. Yeah. My visual sense of like what she just said, like in, in that sentence, like helped me a ton of like what I've struggled with, with dealing with people in the past, like stepping on their toes in that moment. Cause they know that I'm like super, like I have to see it to like understand it all the time. It's a very visual learner. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But just the fact that you said like in the moment, like the pain of stepping on their toes and like the, you know, bothering them enough to do that, like could save their life. It could. And that's incredible. That, that it, and that's ultimately what it could do. It could literally save someone's life. There's nothing wrong. There's no shame in asking, are you in therapy? And saying, you know, I'd recommend it. And have that, inter- have that conversation. It's, you're not in a good place. You're telling, if they're like, no, I'm fine. Okay, well, you're telling me you want to hurt yourself. That means you're not fine. Here are some numbers. Um. So this is something that as, as a psychologist, I've had to get very good at. And, um, the bottom line is we can only do what we can do and you have to do what you can live with. And so, so to me, I'd rather have, like, there's a really great Ted talk about coming out of the closet and really how coming out of the closet is really just about having a hard conversation. I would much rather have a five minute hard conversation then dance around a subject and wonder what happened. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's have that conversation saying, you know, are, are you getting help? Cause you seem like you're not in a good place. You seem very unhappy. This is what I'm feeling. Am I right? Am I wrong? Um, and sometimes you're going to have to step on people's toes. I have a, a friend of mine who called me and she's taken a bunch of Xanax. And so I called her brother and her brother's wife. And she was so mad at me. And I'm like, Hey, you know, at the time I was like 3000 miles away. And I'm like, you live in a different state. I cannot come over to your house. And guess what? Because I did that, 
she ended up getting enrolled in therapy and got a bunch of help and it alerted her family that she wasn't in a good place. So in those moments, it's not being afraid. You may end up losing, I don't know, the friendship in some capacity for a bit, but in the end, it usually does circle back. Uh Um, Something I've, I've had to get really good at and um, is you can't take on someone else's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I that, know Jill struggles with that a lot. <laughs> it's really hard, you know, and, and I'm not saying, trust me, there are days where I come home and you know, my husband and I are both shrinks and we're, it's like, listen, you know, rough day. And, and there are certain things, you know, we all have our trigger spots. We all have our, our stuff that gets to us and you got to be careful with that stuff. And so knowing where your lines are and your boundaries are, and, and maybe this is ultimately about boundaries. It's where are yeah. your boundaries and, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm cool with talking to you about suicide, but I'm not cool. If you're telling me that you want to hurt yourself, you know, it's like where are your boundaries with the situation, laying down your limits and talking about them openly. Um, knowing that ultimately if someone does take their life, they were going to do it. You know, you, we can do our best to stop them. But to some, you know, to the girl that committed suicide and then, you know, put her note in Twitter of all places, good, good God, after the fact, to me, that says, I mean, there probably was very few people who could have talked her out of it. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's not a, it's not a good, um, it's not a good feeling. Sorry, one second, I have to plug in my computer. <laughs> that I had more charge. Um, that's not, it's not a good feeling to have. And it's not a good, um, it's not a good place to be, but, um, putting down the boundaries and that you're doing, you know, that you know that you did the best you could and there's only so much that you can do. I think that's a great point. Cause Jocelyn, you've had some stuff here about dealing with people telling you about their situation. Right, exactly. Like, I mean, it's happened quite a few times to me. And I think um, the same goes for Jules because we are um, very visual members of very large communities. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of people, especially with all the podcasting that we that we do, there's a lot of sure. people that feel that we are they're very close friends and that oh, we yeah. are their like their support group, especially with a lot of the stuff that we talk about, like us here on Slaying Demons and then Jules with you over on Triple T. Like there's that kind of I don't want to yeah. say one sided friendship because I don't want anyone who has reached out to me in the past to think it's one sided in any way, shape or form. But there's, there's this level of intimacy that they may feel with you, but you're not you don't know them. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, just like dealing with um, having people come to you and talk to you about this, especially when you don't necessarily have that relationship with them. And for me, I know like luckily no one who has expressed these thoughts to me has gone through with it to my knowledge, but Mm -hmm. I would have no idea how to deal with the guilt if yeah. I was unable to do something, if say I got a, a message when I was sleeping or, you know, like I didn't know who this person was and I thought they were messing with me or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, how do you so, deal with that guilt? <laughs> well, so so part of it, I think, is, again, putting down. Is a few different things. Sorry, my brain goes in like five different directions <laughs> at once. I'm like trying to rein it in Um have resources at the ready. Like, you know, that you guys talk about these things, that these subjects come up that you, I mean, ultimately I would think, you know, you guys are, you guys are superstars in your communities. You are, you are celebrities within your community. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched people follow Jules around. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. You're not supposed um, to tell her I'm following. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, so have, have those, have those resources at the ready, like 1-800-SUICIDE and, um, you know, kind of maybe, I mean, even like jotting down ways that people can find, um, 
find psychologists, find therapists. Um, in, I mean, I don't, you know, it's hard because you guys, you know, it's like, obviously we, you broadcast, you broadcast around the world. So it's not like you're going to know like every single shrink in the whole world to <laughs> give someone access to, but knowing the steps and how to do it. Um, and really kind of, I would say having kind of a script in your head of, it sounds like things are getting bad. I would really encourage you to seek out treatment because this is a beyond what I can do. Yeah. And knowing in that moment, like, hearing them, validating their experience, you know, depression, it's so hard to have depression. I think you're so brave to be able to come forward. I need you now to seek out treatment. And yeah. if you are in treatment, I need you to call your therapist right now. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to me, um, in the early days of triple T and I was, I was contacted by a, a member or someone who was listening to the show via Skype. Um, and they called me rip roaring drunk and mm -hmm. ready to do something to harm themselves. And, um, you know, no matter what I could do in terms of like, try to explain, you know, got to call the suicide hotline. You've got to talk to somebody right now. I am not going to be able to help you like they can. And it was this irrational. No, no, it was, it was, oh, it was, it was horrific. And so, it was actually traumatic for me because I was sure. so afraid that this person was going to take their life and they were going to blame me that I didn't say the right words. Yeah. So, so in, in those moments, like getting as much information from them as possible and it's in, in, in a short period of time. So, Hey, I hear you. So I'm wondering, wait, where are you? And so now you're finding out their location. Now you're finding out their real name and then you say, okay, well, you know, it sounds like this is very serious. I'm going to call the police right now and you hang up the phone. So the other thing you have to remember too is when people get belligerent like that, particularly for like the three of you who are in kind of more celebrity status, all, all that I could think about is um, you need to have really firm boundaries and limits and it's not your job or responsibility to listen to them in that state. Not when they get belligerent, not, I mean, that's not okay. It's not your job to hear that because at that moment he just, he just wanted to rage. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I've hung up on someone who's done that to me, not, not in a professional sense, but in a personal sense, I actually, um, when I was much younger, when I was 21, I dated someone who was, um, he'd been five years sober and then we broke up and he, um, he called me very drunk one night and threatened to kill himself. And I got off the phone as fast as I could. And I told him, I said, listen, you know, you need to call your sponsor. I'm not the person to call. And I hung up because I couldn't, it wasn't my job or my responsibility. And, and in that moment, if he was going to kill himself, he was going to kill himself. And I felt horrible the next day. And yeah. I was not in a good headspace. And I found out he ended up, um, uh, emailing me probably a couple of days after that. And he said, um, he apologized and he was like, you know, actually when you hung up on me, it kind of gave me the, the jerk to realize that this was real. And I called my sponsor and I'm back on the wagon and you know, this is step one. I got to apologize. So, so you mentioned just how you felt that next day. And I think this is something sure. that all three of us are very sure. interested about is that like, after we've had these conversations, regardless of how they've kind of panned out, it has a, a toll on yeah. us as well as people who are now carrying this information and who have either, you know, intervened or given resources or whatever. But we've had these conversations and I know in particular, like Nevermore has a lot of anxiety in general. And, you know, we all struggle with our own things. Like, how do you deal with this personally once you've like taken on somebody else's so not the, necessarily the, taking on somebody else's problems, but like, how do you take care of yourself in these situations? So the, so one good self-care is really important. Um, whatever you do to take care of yourself, go on a run, play some video games, um, cry, feel your feelings. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy for a long time. I think, all therapists should be in therapy because how can you give it if you've never been in it? 
Um, and, and really, frankly, sometimes you're just holding a lot of space and a lot of tension and, and where does that tension and space go? It needs to be, um, carried on. Um, so part of it is just coming to a realization that as long as you know, you've done all that you can. And sometimes you're going to think, oh, I could have done this. I could have done this. I could have done this. You did the best you could with the information you had at the time. And it's not your burden to carry. And that, I think, is ultimately the point to recognize it's not your burden to carry. You are a shepherd for that person. You, are, you do not have to take their stuff. You hear, you listen, you validate, you hold the space for them. You don't take their stuff on. Yeah, that's easier said than done, but it's so oh, great oh. advice. So much easier said than done. I mean, I come home and sometimes you have dark days. Yeah. And... For for me, in at least that particular situation with my ex-boyfriend, I really had to come to the, this position of he is who he is. And um, I really hope he got the help that he needed. But I also knew I was not the person to get him there because yeah. it wasn't my burden. And I think that's what I struggled with the most. And that's why I had the hardest time interacting with the person is because there'd be time in between talking They'd kind of come out of nowhere. We would talk, everything would be fine. And then it would kind of come around, you know, and then same kind of thing. It would build up, build up, build up. And then we wouldn't talk. Cause I would basically not like, I feel like an asshole, but I felt like I was avoiding them. You know what I mean? Then they'd come sure. back and it would be the same kind of cycle. And I was just like, so pent up with anxiety and stress. And like, like I told them earlier, like, I don't want to make it about me. It's like, it's not about me, but I'm like, I can't, I'm like not handled like but, I'm not equipped to handle it like at so all. So that, that, that you're not equipped to handle it. And that's your boundary. And probably part of why you felt so overcome was because they were crossing your boundaries because yeah. they kept trying to reach out to you and rely on you. And you kept telling them, I'm not the person for this. Well, see, and I and think so, that's the thing is like, I wasn't clear about that because there we go. we're very empathetic where we want, we want to help people, you know, we want to yeah. help our friends. You want to be there for them. But I it got to the point where I'm like, I don't know what to do, you know, but like, I keep trying to like, let you in and be my friend and spend time with you. But I can't, I just can't. <laughs> and like, can't. I had to kind of realize that, like, I just, I feel guilty yeah. about that. But I had to protect myself because I was starting to struggle. So something I want you guys, you keep bringing up the word guilt. Guilt is resentment turned inward. So really think about that. I mean, what are you it sounds, you know, there's this sense of resentment about the other person. They're putting you in this position, but you're like, well, I can't, you know, I can't throw that onto them. So I'm going to hold it in. Well, no, this is again about having really firm boundaries when it comes to this, having a set script, not being afraid and recognizing that if they're not in a good, like you can love them and want to be their friend, but if they're not in a good enough place where they can hold friendships, then that friendship may have to be put on hold for a bit until they can get themselves into a better place. Yeah. I it's was not telling, about, yeah, go ahead. I was telling the ladies earlier that sometimes in relationships with people who are chronically depressed and sometimes severely depressed is that there's a cycle and holiday. You can talk about this a little bit further. Like when they hit certain depression levels in chronic depression, that there's like this thing that happens where they feel like they have to make their friends prove that they're, friends. And I've had a friendship where someone who was basically like, they would threaten suicide or say they were going to do something about, you know, like I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm saying my goodbyes, but it wasn't an actual, an actual like thing that would happen. It would just be like, we'd go through the motions and then they would disappear for like a couple days. And then they come back and they're like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you. And I got to the point with a friend who did that. And I, after I had chased down all the leads of the people and said, is she okay? I haven't heard from her. Have you heard from her? What's going on? Turned out to be fine again. And I said, I'm done. I can't mm -hmm. do this anymore. I am done. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of this. This is not a friendship. I have to prove every Boom. single time that I'm well, your friend. You know, it's interesting how anger and rage is sometimes part of depression. And, and if they're doing that in like, so much of a cycl cyclical way that's more like almost in personality disordered land. Um, yeah. 
but friendships need to be two-way streets. And the bottom line you guys have to remember is you're not punching bags. Yeah. So just because <laughs> Wait, someone what? is depressed. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> and just because someone's depressed doesn't mean they get to shit on you. Yeah. Just because they're not in a good place doesn't mean they need to bring you down. You know the expression, Mis- uh, misery loves company? Mm-hmm. It's an inaccurate statement. The The real, the root of it is miserable people love miserable company. So when you're in a miserable state, you don't want just anyone around you. You want miserable people around you. Yeah. And so you try to bring everyone else down. That's not, it's not healthy. It's not good. And so sometimes there's this interesting dynamic that happens where someone who's like not in a good place will get someone who's like, you know, Susie cheesecake. And they're all like cheerleader, like, oh, it's all going to be fine. And then like the depressed person's like, no, it's going to be awful. And they keep going down further and further. And Susie Cheesecake's like, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to, you know, and they're like trying to drag this person up. And it's just keep going in these opposite directions. It's not working. Um, Sometimes people want to be depressed. You know, I have a few friends and, and listen, I love them, but they're happiest when they're miserable. Which is a really dark thing to think about. Yeah. And there are people who, you know, it's like, they're always searching for the next best thing. Well, I'll be happy when I have this, when I'm happy when I have this. And it's like, when they finally get those things, they're still not happy. It's like, will anything make them happy? I actually had someone say that to me once. And I was like, holy shit, am I just like going down the super dark hole? And it was like a game changer for me. I'm like, I actually need to start really appreciating what I need and what I want. And don't be afraid to, again, say those hard things because you don't know what someone maybe needs to hear. Yeah. And not that you need to be like walking around, you're someone's guardian angel, but you are doing someone a disservice by allowing them to walk all over you. You're doing yourself a disservice. I mean, that person, you know, particularly with you, with, with the, um, with the person who, you know, you guys were in the cyclical cycle and blah, 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 blah. It's not good. Yeah. You know, I snapped that out. I was like, we're done. We're not doing this anymore because, you know, there's that feeling like you have to hold the space for them or else who else is going to do it. Right. Guess what? They'll figure it out. They're survivors. Most, most of the time they are survivors. And again, and if you're going that far to say, you know what, we're done. It's, you know what, here's, I really hope you get help. And I would really encourage you to get in therapy. But until that happens, I'm out. Yeah. Boundary consequence follow through. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, if it, you don't, friendships are not uncomfortable. Friendships should never be uncomfortable. They should be this uh, happy, safe space where you're a friend is someone who you love and who you trust. And there has to be that mutual respect and, you know, usually sh- some shared interests. And if you're not getting those things, because in that moment, particularly with Jules, it's like, they're not respecting you. They're not respecting yeah. your time. They're not respecting you as a human being. It's all about them. And whether that's the, you know, for whatever reason, it could be the depression, could be something else. Yeah. Maybe that's just who they are. So ultimately I would say, I would ask, you know, the next day after these things happen, recognizing when someone does die there is a scent, there's grief, there's loss, there's dabda. So dabda is um, the five stages of grief. We've got denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Um, so part of it's going to be when someone does commit suicide, you're going to be grieving their loss and you're going to be going through that. And so it's like, what could I have done? And I'm so angry at them or or I can't even believe that that happened, or I feel so sad that it happened. And eventually you come to a place of acceptance. You don't have to go through all of those stages all at once. And sometimes you'll skip a few. Sometimes you'll go back and forth between one and one or the other. Um, it all kind of you know changes over time. Um, well, and that's, that is one thing that I did want to touch on while we still got you for a couple more minutes is just the, the grieving process specifically. And, and if it changes drastically based on, the nature of the loss. Like if you lose someone to suicide, does that change how you react and how you grieve? 
Um, no, from the research that I've done, the, the stages are the same. I, to me, it would be more, you would maybe hang out more in anger and bargaining. Bargaining being like, well, if I had done this, or if I had done this, and then anger and, well, why didn't they just tell me? I could have gotten them to help. Um, I would say that those stages would probably be a little bit more elevated versus like someone dying of cancer. It's more probably hanging out more in like the the depression stage. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I remember my, my uncle committed suicide when I was 14 and no one saw it coming. mm -hmm. Um, and so the, the denial area was there was a lot of being stuck in denial because yeah. there was this unbelievable, like, I can't even believe this happened. I can't even understand how this happened. Yeah. That, that kind of like, sure. And, and so, but if you're, if you've known someone to be someone who could be down, going down the road of, of suicidal tendencies, and then they finally follow through with it, it could be different. Well, and so the things that you have to think about, so women tend to use, um, non-lethal methods like pills. Um, men tend to use guns, more lethal methods. Um, and I think that kind of also goes into how we socialize men versus women of like women want, will are more likely to ask for help and men are more likely to go, no, I'm just going to take care of it. Um, something I do want to touch on is the guilt that you feel the next day of, you know, is there anything else in the self-care aspect of it? So making sure you're taking excellent care of yourself, whether you're grieving, whether you're feeling like, should I have done anything? There's nothing wrong with checking in, but again, check into yourself first. You got to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on anyone else and make sure. Are you, I like, sorry, visual thinker. Like that's it's just true though. You have to put it on yourself before you put it on anyone else. And it's, are you checking do you even want to check in with that person? Or do you feel like, you know what, last night I gave them the suicide hotline and I'm really good. So check into yourself, check into your body, check into your mind of, am I just, am I feeding this drama or am I just, am I done? Um, For me, uh, the hardest part about the next day is always that I am the kind of person to follow up and check. And if I don't hear, then that, does so much harm to me because like I say, I've never known someone who has come forward to me who has then followed through. So every single person who I've eventually checked up on has gotten back to me. But in that space in between the, you know, five minutes, five hours, five days, that space is so hard on me personally. And again, like yeah. I know Nevermore has talked about how she doesn't want to make it sound selfish and, and you don't want it to make it about you, but it becomes this like, just the fear is almost crippling. We're disaster thinkers. Don't yes, yes. Way. Very, very so, much so. <laughs> we we sure. imagine anything bad happening will happen. Yes. So that's why <laughs> we struggle but, with <laughs> But again, it's, it's knowing in those moments that you gave them the resources and letting go of the control. You have no control over that person's life. I'm a psychologist. I don't have any control over my patient's life. I do the best I can. And I obviously follow what I'm mandated to do if I'm provided and I check in and checking into those things. But ultimately it's, it's also okay to put down limits. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying, listen, if I don't hear from you within three days, if I don't hear from you by five o'clock on Friday, I'm going to call the police just to do a wellness check. This is a silly question. Well, it's not a silly question, but when you're saying that, are you saying for people to use 911 or do they need to figure out some sort of non-emergency number to call? Um, I love that. In that moment, moment, if if you're really worried that someone's harming themselves or they could be harming themselves, you should need to be calling 911. That's an emergency. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to make it yeah. very clear because no, 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 no. Well, no, it's a good question because, like, I think um, we talked just off the top of the show. I can't remember if it's actually in the show or not, but I'm Canadian, so I'm up in Canada, so my nine one one is not necessarily going to put me through to the nine one one I need to go to. Sure. <laughs> so no, it's a, it's sure. a good question about you know how what the chain of contact should be in cases where you like us are in communities that are spread out over very large spaces. Like, it's not that I'm worried about my neighbor. I'm worried about you know my friend in Texas or, you know, like, yeah, Yeah. it can be very, very spread out. So 
you can also, I mean, in, in that moment, like, so if you know that the person lives in like Dallas, Texas, and you're in Canada, you can also call, you know, Dallas police department and say, yep. listen, I'm, I'm concerned about a person. This is their name. This is the area that they live in. You know, this is all the information I have. Can I call in a wellness check? Mm-hmm. That's what I've done. And I found one woman who was like posting a goodbye letter basically on Twitter. I found her um, through her, her name was tied. To, so she had her name on her Twitter account. And then I found her LinkedIn profile of yeah. everything and found out she was in this certain city. And I called their police and I said, look, I've just, and they're used to it. Like you call mm-hmm. them and say, I saw this on social media. I don't know her. I just, this is what happened. This is what they said. If you could do a wellness check. They take it very seriously. Yeah. And, um, and you just give them every piece of information you have and you say, look, I'm just someone that doesn't even know them, but I saw it on the internet and I want them to be okay. Yeah. And so it is hard to do because you're like, I feel really stupid calling some, you know, what if it was a bad, like, you know, they're just, they're faking or whatever. But just like you said earlier, I would so much rather Step make the toes. mistake of them being okay. Well, so, so, let's say, so let's say they, they're faking it. Okay. Worst case scenario or best case scenario, really they're faking it. Um, the police show up. So they now know that this is, people take this very seriously. The police will have a very intense conversation with them about it. The police will probably still, you know, double check on them and, um, you know, different. I recently went to a training where they're, a lot of police stations are being, um, equipped with, um, with psychologists, with therapists, and they're, they have special units for these, um, these people, and they have special training for these officers. So now these new officers are coming in. And so maybe the person answers the door and they're like, Oh no, I'm totally fine. Well, now they're going to sit down. They're going to have a conversation with them. One about using police resources because they had like this had this, they had to do that, but also let's double check and see how they are. And maybe, you know what, why don't you come with us and get evaluated? Mm. And again, that may end up saving that person's life. Uh, we did have one question from the chat sure. room. If you've got, yeah. I know we're coming up on your time here, but That's okay. um, we got, we got, a, uh, I have like two or three minutes. So go ahead. Okay, perfect. Um, so just going back to the idea of the grieving process, um, Manny in the chat room wanted to know how you go about accepting a death. If you don't, exactly know why it happened or why they did it. If you don't have the why, how do you get through the acceptance? Um, it's a really great question and one that you're not going to like the answer to. Um, <laughs> so a lot of times we don't get the why. Um, we often don't get the why. We don't often understand why. And sometimes the why I like to tell a lot of my patients, sometimes the why doesn't matter. Um, It's just that they did this. And when you don't know the why, it does become a lot more complicated. It's something that um, usually becomes something called complicated grief. It's a great name. Um, (laughs) So acceptance is not a, I want you, I, I think the bottom line is, 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 better understanding what acceptance is. Accepting is not liking what they did. It's not agreeing with what they did. It's just getting to a place where you recognize that that happened and moving forward from there. And there's been some interesting research about how grief, the the idea used to be that grief was like so all consuming and then it just kind of went away. And really what happens is that grief remains there you are forever changed by it, but you grow around the grief and your life then revolves and it changes and shifts. So acceptance is not just, it's not like you wake up one day and you're like, cool, I get it. They killed themselves. Totally fine with it. It's not that. It's just that they're, you're more in a place of that person is gone. You accept that that person is gone and that you may never get answers. So your acceptance in that place is then accepting the frustration and not knowing why and just feeling the loss of that person and recognizing that that's it. You know, it, it, you wish it was different. And if you could go back and do things, a hundred things differently, you would, but you can't. 
And so it's like that, the point of moving on. Yeah. Moving forward, not moving on. This is why we have you here to talk about this and not me (laughs) with my terrible wrong words. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's, it's, um, I'm all about like, you know, thinking in different ways. So. Well, that even makes sense to kind of what you were saying before of like, you can't control what would have happened. So even if you could go back in time 50 million times, the outcome could still very well be the same every single time. So there is, you have to kind of just let it go. The fact that, it was out of your control in the first place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. You, it, you are out of control. You know, we're not the only people we can control are ourselves. That's it. So getting to that place, recognizing it being there and, um, therapy, 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 therapy. <laughs> so grief, you- there are grief and loss groups. There are, you know, individual therapy. I am just a really big believer in all of that. So did you have any final thoughts on this topic that you wanted to share with our audience before we wrap up the show? Um, I think suicide's really hard. And I think anyone who is in a place where they're, the idea of it is even crossing their mind, please, please seek out help because there is so there are so many options and there are so many, you know, people are all like, Oh, well, therapy's for crazy people. No, therapy's for everyone. Therapy's great. And there are, oh, I can't afford therapy. Okay, well, you're, most of the time insurance will cover it. And if your insurance doesn't cover it, there are an incredible amount of nonprofits or maybe cash paying people who do sliding scales. There are so many ways of seeking out services. Please get in touch. And if you're afraid of going, like if you're like, I don't know what to do, this feels really overwhelming then talk to a friend who has, um, call your insurance company, talk to your doctor, your PCP will usually refer you. Um, but you know, seek out treatment because there are so many, there's such a better way to live. And with these feelings. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I, I really, really cannot thank you enough because I think this was a a great conversation. And as much as it's a difficult topic, I think it's very good to talk about all of this, especially with, you know, recent events. And uh, yeah, so again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, Dr. Holiday Bean, everybody. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Let me know whenever, you know, you're doing a psych topic. I'd love to come on. Absolutely. Uh, Jules, where can folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Jules RPG on Twitter and you can find my chain mail stuff at chainofjewels.com. Wonderful. Nevermore. How about you? You can follow me on Twitter on at quota nevermore. And also I'm on Etsy, but I'm not right now because I'm prepping for a show, but it's geekasylum.etsy.com. Wonderful. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch. I'm at Joss Plays. That's J-O-C-E Plays. You can also find links to everything I do at jossplays.com. If you would like to send your demons over to us, you can do so by emailing the show at demonspodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us over on Twitter. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.